All I know is that I can hear my mom getting really pissed off at her and she starts yelling at her and my grandma like leaves, but she can't walk very fast. <laughs> so she's like leaving and I'm like, are you going? And she like doesn't say anything. And I'm like, grandma, where are you going? And she goes and then she slams the door behind her and I was like, oh, she was mad. <laughs> hey guys. Welcome back to Wayward Fans, a supernatural podcast. I am Shannon. And I'm Leanna. I feel like we haven't done this in forever. I know. <laughs> we didn't say it last week, so I just want to say uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hope 2018 is a great one for you. Oh, and Merry Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> Happy Holidays. We didn't say that either. Whatever, whatever yeah. you celebrate. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, we took a hiatus, but we had already recorded the first episode of the season before we decided to take yeah. the hiatus. So, <laughs> so the first one really... was normal, and yeah. this one's the one where we're like, and we're back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today we're going to talk about um, uh, What's Up, Tiger Mommy, and Heartache, the second and third episode of season eight. So What's Up, Tiger Mommy was directed by... John F. Showalter, and written by Andrew Dabb and Daniel Laughlin. So we start in a bank in Chicago. <clears throat> There's a man there who is being helped by a lady, and she says that she's really sorry he had to wait, but they had to dig through a lot of archives to verify who he was, because it's been a while since he's been in the bank. Uh, she asks him which safe deposit box is his, and he has safe deposit box number one. Um, so she gets kind of shocked and a little giddy and so they go in the safe and she pulls out number one and she's like well look what we had to do and they had put his really old safe deposit box in one of the new ones <laughs> um <clears throat> so he opens it and he takes out an extremely valuable bone <laughs> um and yeah says he was happy that they could keep it in a safe for all these years um she says anything else i can help you with because she's a little weirded out yeah um and he says, I'd like to make a withdrawal. And then he gets this creepy smile and does a little chuckle. And the girl screams. And we pan over to the other deposit boxes. And we get to see our first blood spatter of season eight. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so then we're back with Kevin and Dean and Sam. And Kevin wants to go check on his mom. Dean is saying no because it's going to be a trap. Kevin is pointing out that she's all alone and surrounded by demons and he wants to make sure she's okay. Sam is like, eh, he shrugs, like, he's not wrong. <laughs> so they go. Kevin, uh, they're all, they're basically parked outside watching the house and uh, Kevin says that she seems okay, sad, but okay. Dean points out the mailman and gardener are both demons. Um, and then we cut to Dean, who is killing the gardener, and Sam killing the mailman. Um, Eunice, uh, which is an older woman talking with Kevin's mom, is telling Kevin's mom that Kevin will be back. She's telling Linda, which is Kevin's mom, <laughs> that she's doing um, the right thing by staying home, waiting for him. At this point, Kevin knocks on the door. Linda is... Obviously, very super happy to see him. And she goes for a hug, but gets splashed by <laughs> holy water first. <coughs> Just totally douse her. <laughs> yeah. She is not a demon. Sam and Dean uh, step up behind him. Sam says he smells sulfur. 
They go to check the back of the house in time to see Eunice try to smoke out. But Sam starts to recite a spell to put the demon back in the meat suit, and then he kills it. Yeah, it was really fast, too. Holy shit, what was that? Yeah. Uh, Linda freaks out, understandably. Sam and Dean tell Linda about the demons and the tablet. Linda's getting packed. I was surprised at how well she took it, honestly. (laughs) She's like, I'm coming with you. Right. Oh, okay. We have to go find demons and hide from prophets. And I don't know what exactly it is that they're doing, but let's go. So Dean is telling Sam that they need to find a safe house for Linda, but she tells them that she's going to go with them. Dean and Sam try to tell her no, but she's not having it. Dean asks Kevin to back them up, but he's like, I can't tell her what to do. (laughs) And this is because the boys never had a mom. They have absolutely no idea how that would go. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Dean finally agrees, telling her that there are conditions, hex bags, and and she's got to get inked up. Linda agrees, which surprises everybody. And she says, like, this is my first tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) The look on Kevin's face at that point was priceless. Yes, it was quite funny. Uh, then we get to see Kevin and Linda getting tattoos while, where Kevin is whimpering through the tattoo on his forearm while Linda is sitting through her wrist being tattooed like it's nothing. I didn't like how much of a baby Kevin was being. I think they overdid it a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. She holds out her hand. Yes. For Kevin to support him. Yes. At this point, Dean asks Sam how he did that reverse exorcism thing. And Sam says he just did the verse backwards. I was like, what? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Okay. Right. It, I, I went from like, wow, I wonder what that spell is that Sam used to what? So yeah. you just did an exorcism backwards. backwards. Okay. <laughs> That's right. a little dumb. Here we go. That's fine. We'll just forget about that i guess <laughs> um at a bus stop oh my god did you see the guy sitting on the bench when dean's like walking into the bus stop i like paused it like four times all well, that can't be real <laughs> there's this dude so dean's walking in he's just walking past this bench and it's because at first we're behind dean and then it flips to dean walking towards the camera uh-huh. and there's this dude sitting on the bench and he is like creepy he's like bald but with like long hair you know you have like the bald spot on top and then he has like this really long hair he has this really frowny face and he's like very skinny and pale and he's like just kind of back there like what the fuck is up with that guy like i kept trying to pause it to get like a good shot of him so i could like send you a picture but i could never get like one that wasn't really blurry so yeah if you haven't watched this one in a while go back i haven't watched it in a while it's been a while since i watched these episodes i know So I did not notice that. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to go back and see it because it was creepy. That is really disturbing. And it was weird. <laughs> um, so at the bus stop, Dean opens the locker that Kevin said he stashed a tablet in. Which, I mean, in the bus stop, Kevin, Jesus Christ. Um, it's a diaper bag, no tablet. The guys talk to security as feds to find out. Um, and they find out that the lockers were constantly being broken into. They find out that it was Clem Smedley, the guy who worked at the desk prior. So they go and they talk to Clem and we ask about the whereabouts of the tablet. I do want to point out that Sam wanted to know, as soon as he found out that Kevin had the tablet, he wanted to know where Kevin had hid the tablet. 
which I thought was a good idea. And Dean's like, no, he's got it. It's under control. So I just want to point well, because out. Because I remember Kevin says it's safe. And right. And Sam's like, well, where? <laughs> right. And Dean was like, he said, if he says it's safe, it's, it's safe. safe. I was like, Dean, I don't know. Why but... do you trust Kevin? <laughs> right. I'm sure he's a nice kid, but I don't think he's got a lot of experience in this shit. <laughs> So they talk to Clem about the whereabouts of the tablet, and they're, like, in an interrogation room. And he's not really giving them anything. He wants something back first. At this point, Dean starts having a flashback of purgatory, torturing a monster for the whereabouts of Cass. The scene overlaps as Dean is basically doing the same thing to Clem that he's doing to the monster, just minus the big purgatory knife. (laughs) Yeah, I really liked that whole back and forth. I thought that was really cool. I also enjoyed that scene. Both the monster and Clem finally tell Dean what he wants. Um, The guys and the trans, Linda and Kevin, go to the pawn shop where apparently this guy told him the tablet would be. Sam Dean poses FBI agents Neil and Six, referencing Vince Neil and Nikki Six of Motley Crue. The guys aren't getting anything from the pawn shop guy. So Linda steps in. and start talking about the car. Because we see as they walk in a really nice, like, Ferrari, I think, parked outside. Yeah, it's a the Ferrari. The shop. And she steps in saying that she's pretty sure the car out front was a trade and there haven't been any taxes paid on it yet. And she asks Kevin what the blue book value on the car is. And he says $217,000. And she asks him what the tax on that would be. And then Sam answers saying $10,000. Which makes Linda look very impressed. Yes. Uh, The guy thinks it's an FBI audit, but Linda tells him it could be if she calls her brother. Do do they want to get... Does he want to give up the tablet or the car? Which is one of my favorite lines, because she says, so what's it going to be? The tablet or that piece of Euro trash crap you call a car? (laughs) 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 Sam and Dean look very impressed now. I was impressed as well. Yeah, (laughs) she did a very good job. They go to a hotel um, where uh, the pawn slip said that I, the person who bought the tablet was. And a dude, wa- a dude walks up, addresses Kevin by name, wearing a gray pinstripe suit with a top hat and a cane. He greets Linda with his absolute pleasure. His name is Bo. He has an invitation for Kevin to an auction where they will be selling the tablet, but having a headliner would be great. He want, he's basically saying that having Kevin to sell along with the tablet would be a really good item. <laughs> oh, is he? I thought he was just saying that it would be nice for them to show up. No, he was saying to have Kevin there since he's the only one who could read the tablet because he's oh, just having the headliner. Oh, I see what you're saying. There. Okay, really okay. Nice. that makes sense. <clears throat> uh, Dean tells Bo he better have three extra tickets. And he says, oh, if you're worried about the safety of the prophet, rest assured we have a strict no casting, no cursing, no supernaturally flicking the two of you against the wall just for fun of it policy. <laughs> Another great line. <laughs> Sam wants to know how he managed that. Bo tells him that he is the right hand of a god, after all. Plutus, specifically. Dean makes some dumb joke about the planet Pluto. Uh, we find out that Plutus is actually the god of greed. The dumb joke is just... Pluto, is that even a planet anymore? <laughs> Which, I mean, is a Dean-quality joke. I'm surprised you didn't like that one. <laughs> I probably did, but I was writing these so fast. Oh, yeah. This was no, when I'm we were getting ready to do it the next day. So my notes were like, instead of quoting them, I was like, ah, oh, dumb joke. <laughs> right. <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Um, let's see. So the auction will be the safest place for the profit, according to Bo. He adds a plus three to Kevin's invite. Dean wants to have something to bid and not show up empty-handed. Sam suggests baby by looking at it. Dean is not having it. No. Dean says since everything is on display first, maybe they can just have Kevin read it and memorize the spell. Linda says Kevin can do it. At the auction house, Dean is loaded with weapons. Yeah, it wasn't because they have a metal detector at the door for people to go through. And shockingly enough, Dean sets it off and stands there for like 10 minutes unloading all his (laughs) knives and guns and shit. Where do you put all that, Dean? (laughs) It was really fun. I was scrolling through Instagram the other day. Uh Uh-huh. And I, I was like, oh, that, that guy's kind of hot. And I went back, and that was Jensen. And was I thought, it really? Oh. <laughs> no wonder. Because <laughs> I was like, who is that? Because I don't really follow too many people outside right. of my actual friend groups. And I was like, who the fuck is that? Oh, I was hot. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. It's my big star crush. <laughs> so anyway, um. Bo tells uh, them at this time that the system only works if everyone cooperates. So Dean unloads all of his weapons. They go and they look at the tablet, and it, of course, is covered and cannot be read. So Sam wants to come up with a plan B, and this is when Crowley arrives. And he says one of my favorite lines. Did you write this one down? No, go ahead. He says, and what possibly could have been plan A? Bring the prophet to the most dangerous place on the planet, memorize the tablet, and then vamoose. And he looks right at Sam when he says moose. Right. Which I think is pretty funny that Crowley totally called them on their plan A. Right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And he also rubs in what he did to Channing. Yes. Kevin's old girlfriend. He starts asking about who Linda is, and she punches him in the face and tells him to leave her son alone. (laughs) Defiling her body is the first to do on Crowley's list. Everyone starts puffing up, but Crowley reminds them any more than a love tap, and they'll get kicked out. Sam holds Dean back, saying Crowley is right. And this is when Plutus arrives, and the auction begins. Crowley wishes them luck on their bidding. Sam tells Linda she has a nice right hook. <laughs> um, when they're all walking to their seats, we Sam, uh, Dean gets called away by a kid dressed in a Wiener Hut uniform. We find out that he is an angel, and this was the closest vessel on such short notice. His name is Alfie. The meat suits or the vessels named Alfie. We find out his actual name is Sam Drell. And Dean says, let's just stick with Alfie. (laughs) Alfie is there because they protect the word of God. And Alfie wants to know what happened to Cass. Dean tells him they got sent to purgatory after killing Dick. Alfie says that Dean made it, but wants to know about Cass. Dean just looks at him. You know that there are some in heaven that believe, despite his mistakes, that Castile's heart was always in the right place. And Dean asks, are you one of them? He says, I think too much heart was always Castile's problem. Dean gets another flashback to Purgatory as Alfie walks away. Dean is coming to a clearing where the monster told him to to go to find Cass. And we see Cass is there, drinking from the water and cleaning his face. He's a mess. Yeah, totally fucked up. Dean is extremely happy to see him, but we can see that Cass doesn't feel the same. He pulls back from a hug and tells Cass, nice peach fuzz. 
I like I love <laughs> thank you he's just so like <laughs> Dean introduces Cass to Benny but Cass just wants to know how Dean found him and he tells him the bloody way Cass says he's not crazy but 94% of crazy people don't know it <laughs> Then he wants so then we have to ask ourselves, what is sane? Right. <laughs> then he wants to know why Cass bailed. Dean assumes Cass got jumped and had to fight off some monsters. Cass tells Dean that that's wrong. He ran away. Dean wants to know what the hell he, what the hell he was doing. He's been praying to him every night. Cass says he knows, but he has a price on his head with the Leviathans, and he wanted to stay a step ahead of them to keep them away from Dean. He asks to be left alone. Benny's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> but Dean, of course, is not having it, telling Cass that they are getting out. Benny tells him that Purgatory has, a, has an escape hatch, but he doesn't know if it's angel-friendly. Dean says they'll figure it out. Tells Cass that they, can't, that they can take on the Leviathans together, together because they've done it before. Cass tells him it's too dangerous, but Dean says Cass, that he tells Cass that he's not leaving without him. Cass understands. That was a really great fucking shot, by the way. That's exactly what I put. That scene where it's just them silhouetted, right. like against the river or lake or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and there's like some grass in front of them. Oh my god, the amount of just absolute male sexiness in that scene is a little <laughs> ridiculous. It is. It is. It's very nice. Thank you, supernatural people. Yes, thank you very much. Back at the auction, Crowley recognizes Samdriel and. He or he just recognizes him. Period. That's the end of my sentence. All right. No, I'm fine. I was trying not to spit my water when I was laughing at you. Linda, Kevin, and the boys pull their money as Bo begins the auction. Crowley doesn't know why they are so keen on the hunk of dirt. Tells Samantha that it can destroy some demons. So what? He'll make some more. Sam tells Crowley, "Yeah, we'll see." Crowley looks a little worried for a minute. Sam tells them plan B, buying the tablet with their hacked credit cards, $2,000 in cash, and a Costco membership. <laughs> Bo says, let's start the bidding with um, three tons of dwarven gold. <laughs> the look on Dean's face is a, just it's amazing. Yes. <laughs> the bidding continues. Crowley looks very amused. Sam yes. says, plan C? <laughs> Dean gets up at this point to go to the bathroom, and he sees a dude loading items on a cart and follows him. He locks the items in a storage-ish-like closet, so Dean goes and picks the lock. Or, well, he picks the dude's pocket to get the key to then open the closet. And it's a very large room, and there are two dudes standing in there. Dean backs out slowly, pretending that he was looking for the bathroom. (laughs) And it works, somehow. This isn't the bathroom. (laughs) And it does work. I was pretty I'm like, surprised. How, you guys aren't going to go after him? Like, like, that door was locked. How did he get in there? <laughs> but he does notice the tablet is in the room before he leaves. The next item to bid is the Hammer of Thor. <laughs> the old guy from the beginning of the episode, who got that old bone, offers the finger bone from the first frost giant. Emir. Emir. And they're like, No. <laughs> And so he throws in. And five-eighths of a virgin. <laughs> five-eighths of a virgin. Sam looks very disgusted, and Crowley gives a little nod of approval. I love that. In the background, oh, oh five-eighths of a virgin. <laughs> Apparently virgins are hard to find. <laughs> Apparently. Did we ever find so out what... So you only what, get five-eighths. Did we ever find out what it was? 
That was the vir- what five eighths of the virgin was it? The woman from the beginning. Right, but what part of her? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> the bid is accepted. Dean tells Sam that Plan C tanked. Which then Crowley, Crowley says, <laughs> "Maybe you should try Plan D for dumbass." <laughs> Next item up is a tablet. Before anyone can bid, Crowley offers $3 billion. (laughs) And they're like, uh, all right. Then Alfie bids the Mona Lisa. Crowley bids the real Mona Lisa where she's topless. Alfie bids the Vatican City. Then Crowley bids Alaska. Bo says, Palin and a bridge to nowhere? No thanks. Which if you're not aware he is referencing the politician Sarah Palin and also the Geneva Bridge Project known as the Bridge to Nowhere and controversially supported by Palin. Crowley offers the moon, much to Dean's disbelief. (laughs) Crowley says he claimed it for hell. You think a man named Buzz gets to go into space without making a deal? (laughs) I just love Dean's face throughout this entire bidding. He's just (laughs) so like, what the fuck? Bo wants to stimulate the bidding and and adds Kevin to the set. He is the only one on earth who can read it, so they are a perfect match. Linda jumps up and says she'll give whatever they want. She has her 401k in her house. They are not impressed. She then offers her soul. Kevin tells her not to, and Dean tells her that's a bold move. She agrees to do it anyway. Crowley says if it souls Plutus wants, he has millions. Dean asks Alfie, Flyboy, if he's going to jump in, but Alfie tells him they protect the souls of heaven, they do not horse trade them. It's not about the quantity, but about the sacrifice. Linda is offering the most valuable thing that she has, everything that she has. Is Crowley willing to do that? Then Dean says, Tick tock. So Crowley bids his own soul. Plutus laughs, saying he doesn't have a soul, and Linda wins the bid. Linda is, and then after the auction, Linda is talking to the guys about losing her soul, and she wants to know if it will hurt. And they're like, probably. (laughs) She wants to know if she'll die. Sam tells her, no, but you wish you were. Or Dean, I don't remember. I I think it was Sam. Bo tells them, it's time. Linda asks for a minute. Sam thinks this sucks. Dean thinks since they're about to close the gates of hell forever, they got off cheap. Alfie offers the protection of Kevin since the Winchester Winchesters are just men. She passes since the last time the angels tried to protect him, they were killed and Kevin went missing for a year. I like Samandriel. I thought that was really nice of him. Yeah. He's so cute. He is cute. And he's really nice in person. Yes, he is. <laughs> the guys go to pick up the tablet and Kevin. Sam wants to know if Plutus is going to Sam wants to know what Plutus is going to do with Linda's soul. He says, whatever he wants. He might sell it. He might keep it with his most precious things. He holds out his hands. Whenever you're ready, dear. Dean grabs Linda's arms when she reaches out because he notices that her tattoo has been burned off. Crowley has possessed Linda and throws the boys aside. Plutus is shocked, saying he shouldn't have been able to with his warding spells. But apparently, Bo showed him some tricks. We get a flashback to when Linda turned down Alfie's offer. Bo is there when she's leaving, and he's the one who burns off the tattoo. And he says, all it took was an island in the South Pacific. 
Bo then kills Plutus. Crowley grabs the stake through the front and kills another god, I'm assuming, right. that was in the room. <laughs> Not sure what that was. Yeah. <laughs> um, he then takes the tablet and starts to leave. Dean grabs his demon blade, and Kevin yells, get out of her. And Crowley said, if I had a nickel for every time someone screamed that at me. <laughs> Sam jumps on Linda. They block the way to Kevin, telling Crowley to come get him. He runs off with the tablet. Dean tells Sam to watch Kevin as he goes for Crowley. Bo starts shooting at Sam and Kevin at this point. And Bo almost kills Kevin, but Sam uses the hammer of Thor to kill Bo. It was so, oh, and that's the a- old man who brought it in, asking <coughs> where he got the virgin. Right. <laughs> well, because they show him, and he's just walking out holding the hammer, and he's just like, it's so nice having you back. And he's, like, petting the hammer. Right. Like, he's so happy with that hammer. I thought it was so cute. <laughs> Sam just takes it. <laughs> like damn this poor old man killed that virgin to get his hammer back (laughs) (coughs) um at this point we see dean pin linda to a column and he's about to kill her but crowley smokes out crowley then walks in out crowley picks up the tablet now knowing that they were planning on closing the gates of hell forever because he was able to see all of uh, Linda's thoughts and everything. So he knows what they're playing. Right. He also knows who he also knows who Kevin's real father is. Scandalous. <laughs> Crowley tells Kevin to run far and fast as the Winchesters have a way of using people up and watching them die. Bloody. Linda is catatonic. Dean tells Kevin she's tough and she'll pull through. But Kevin is upset because he just tried to kill her. Dean starts to give a speech, but Kevin tells him to shut up. The guys leave Kevin to talk to his mom. Sam wants to know if Dean was really going to kill Linda. Dean says he wished he had. Doesn't matter the meat suit, it was still Crowley. Sam looks pretty sad by this. Dean agrees it would have sucked, but what's one more nightmare? And that, I think, is the saddest part of all of that. Yeah. Like, he's... I mean, he's right, you know, like, they have so many I mean, nightmares. Kinda, right, but... I'm not saying he's right to kill her. I'm just saying they have so many nightmares to them. It's like, oh, what's one more at this point? Right. And no, that sucks. I can, I can see that. <laughs> just, I was very surprised by that. I do like that Kevin, throughout the episode, really, like, stands his ground against Dean. Right. Um, They're constantly, like, he's constantly trying to boss him around, and Kevin's constantly like, no, I'm not going to do things that you want me to. Right. I like that. So Dean thinks it's too quiet in the room where they left Linda and Kevin. So they go back and they are gone. Dean finds a note. says they bolted not to follow. Since they don't have the tablet anymore, they don't need him. Sam points out that Crowley still does and wants to know what the hell Kevin is thinking. Dean says he thinks people don't need... He thinks people I don't need anymore, they end up dead. Sam says that's not true, but Dean doesn't look convinced. And he has a flashback of losing grip with Cass... And Cass yelling for Dean. And then we get credits. In Purgatory. Yeah, that flashback was for Purgatory, sorry. It's okay. I like that episode. It's a really good episode. It's really sad. Um, yeah. You know, seeing how... I think Purgatory really fucked with Dean, obviously. Yeah, and that's um, when we really get to see how badly it got. Right. Or how bad it got. And I mean, he, I think he is right with the whole nightmare thing, because they both have just been through so much shit in their lives that it's like, yeah, really, what's one more thing at this point? 
but it sucks that it would bring you to um, being able to kill this kid's mom right. just to kill Crowley. I mean, killing Crowley would be pretty huge, but... Well, I mean, I thought we already established that the demon blade can't kill Crowley. I could have sworn they already stabbed him with it and he laughed at them, but I could be wrong. I The only thing I remember is the cult. There's five things that the cult can't kill. I don't remember anything about the demon blade not Maybe being able to kill. Maybe that's what it was. It just seems like if the cult can't kill Lucifer, it probably... Well, no. I had that backwards in my head. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why the demon blade wouldn't be able to kill Crowley, but... He's like a different level Maybe. of demon. He has the red eyes instead of yeah. the black eyes. There's something to do with that, but I'd have to go back and... I'd have to see it, because I don't remember, ever remember there being an issue where the demon blade wouldn't kill. Because the red just, I thought, meant crossroads. Right, but I think the crossroads demons are a lot more powerful than just, like, the demon demons. Right. Who knows? Who We're going to have to get there. <laughs> Maybe somebody can let us know, because we apparently can't remember <laughs> shit right now. Um, so the title, What's Up, Tiger Mommy, is a mashup of two references. One is to the book uh, Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother by Amy Chua? Hua? Anyway, about her experiences growing up between two cultures and of being a parent. The other, the other reference is to the 1966 Woody Allen comedy What's Up, Tiger Lily, which dubbed original dialogue over the footage of a Japanese spy movie. This episode marks the first, the very first time that Crowley has shown his his demon eyes. They are red, like the other crossroad demons, which Crowley was before he became the king of hell. When he leaves the body of Linda Tran, his smoke is also red. The first time this has been seen. Also, that's the first time time we've seen his eyes and the red smoke. Yeah, the the smoke, I believe, but really, that's the first time we saw his eyes. That's crazy. So Tyler Johnston who played Sam Drell, previous, previously portrayed Mike Pike, the bug-obsessed kid, in Season 1, Episode 8 of Bugs. This is the first time that Crowley calls Dean Squirrel. Also, another first. Body count in this is nine. There's only one song in here, which is The Devil's Chasing Me by Reverend Horton Heat. Yep. And it plays when the uh, trans are getting tattooed. Yes. Did you have research on this one? A little bit. I re- it's, There wasn't a lot of it. I read a little bit about the god Plutus. Um, he's actually the god of wealth, not the god of greed, as he's portrayed here. Um, <coughs> there's also a lot of confusion about whether he's the god of Pluto, which he's not. Um, Pluto is the ruler of the underworld. Plutus is a different god. Um in Aristophanes' comedy, Plutus is a blind beggar. He was blinded by Zeus so that he could spread wealth without bias. His sight is restored when he agrees to follow a poor man to his home and visit with a family who is very virtuous. Having his sight restored wreaks havoc as he now dispenses gifts as he pleases. Um, I also read a little bit about the frost god Ymir, because that old man, I don't know what it is. I love that guy. He was so cute. Um, <laughs> he just wanted to get his stuff back. I Poor guy. Where did you um, get that virgin? In <laughs> um, Norse mythology, the god, he had a few names, Ymir, um, or the frost giant. He wasn't a god. Arglamir. Bramir and Blayan, those are his other names. 
Um, they don't he make was, it easy, do they? No, they don't. He was a primeval being who was born from venom dripped from the rivers. Elivagar. I don't know what that is. I should have looked that up. <laughs> and he lived in a grassless void, is what they called it. Huh. Uh, the gods Odin, Vili, and Ve killed him and fashioned the earth from his flesh. From his blood, we have the oceans. From his bones, we have the mountains. From his hair, the trees. And from his brains, the clouds. Uh, from his skull, we got the heavens. And from his eyebrows... <laughs> We got the middle realm where mankind lives and is is Midgard. (laughs) Live on this dude's eyebrows. Yeah. So I like, I liked reading about him, (laughs) but that's really all I have. There isn't a whole lot. Cool. Uh, My favorite scene was just the auction in general. It was pretty damn funny. The auction was really good. I liked the uh, flashback to when he finds Cass. Yes. <clears throat> That's my favorite scene. I also really liked when Dean says he thinks people I don't need anymore, they end up dead. Because I think it's really sad. It's, right. Because, like, Dean has always felt that way. Yeah. You know, he's always been like, everyone around me just dies. Right. But then it's like he went to purgatory and he came back and he's like, well, I don't fucking care anymore. Yeah. They're going to die anyway. <laughs> Might yeah. as well make it worth something. Right. Um, and then my one of my favorite lines was Crowley's, if I had a nickel for every time someone screamed that at me. <laughs> <clears throat> and maybe you should try for plan D or try plan D for dumbass. I liked I picked one of Crowley's lines also, which is when he said the Winchesters have a habit of using people up and watching them die bloody. Toodles. And that's True. when he fails. Um, <laughs> That and Cass when he says 94% of all psychotics think they're perfectly sane, so I guess we'd have to ask ourselves, what is sane? This <laughs> is just Cass being very literal. He's so adorable. He is. Alright, so we're going to take a break and we'll be back for part Heartache. This one's directed by Jensen Ackles. And it's written by Brad Buckner and Eugene Ross Lemming. I was like, oh, Jensen Ackles directed this one, and I like don't remember anything about it. And then like halfway through, I was like, oh, it's because this episode kind of sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Not my favorite episode. It's pretty weird. Um, But yeah, so we're in Minneapolis. There's a dude jogging at night. and then all of a sudden it looks like he's kind of being chased by another jogger behind him. Um, but the guy just catches up with him and starts running beside him. And they're just kind of looking at each other like running all okay. Uh, then the second guy speeds up past the first jogger, uh, gets way ahead of him, stop. Um, 
I don't understand what my notes say. All right. So, oh, that's right. So the first guy just kind of stops. All this is weird. And the second jogger speeds up and takes off. Goes around the curve up ahead. You're like, all right, that was weird. The first guy starts running again. He comes around the corner and there's the other guy just standing there waiting for him. So the first guy says, congratulations, you're fast. (laughs) And uh, reaches out to shake the dude's hand. And he says, I do a lot of cardio. Then he shoves his hand into the dude's chest and rips out his heart. Get it? I do a lot of cardio. Yeah. Yoink, and take your cardiovascular (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's really bad. (laughs) So Dean is reading about the jogger on his phone, and he's telling Sam all about it. And he says, same thing happens also in Minneapolis. What does that tell us? And Sam says, (laughs) stay out of Minneapolis. Minneapolis. (laughs) Two hearts ganked, same city, six months apart. I mean, that's got to be a ritual, man. Or at least some sort of heart-sucking, possessed, satanic crack whore bat. <laughs> oh, that was a little too much effort into that one, Dean. <laughs> it's a case. Dean wants to go get it. Sam reminds him they are on a case that Kevin and the demon tablet need to be found. <laughs> it's just like such a classic supernatural for one of them to be like, look, I found a job. And the other one, we're already on a job. And then it or, gives us this like is the not a job. <laughs> well, it gives us the whole, this is what's going on story. Right. To just make sure we're all on the same page. Right. I just love how they do that. Dean says they've been chasing their asses, trying to lock down Kevin. And he does, and they don't even know uh, where they are. Oh, well, Dean doesn't. He's like, and I don't even know where we are. <laughs> They're... Farmer's Market. Organic. During his year off, Sam enjoyed the good stuff. (laughs) Right, while avoiding what we actually do. Wow, Dean, does it make you feel that much better every time you say it? All right, man. Look, I get it. You took a year off to do yoga and play the loop. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) But I'm back. Okay? We're back. Which means that we walk and we kill monsters at the same time. We'll find Kevin, but in the meantime, do we ignore stuff like this? Or are you... Or are innocent people supposed to die so that you can shop for produce? (laughs) Play the loot. I love that part so much. Oh my god, I was dying. As feds, the cops tell the guys that the heart was ripped out, not cut. He shows them footage of the chubbier guy uh, jogging past the fit guy. Um, But that's all they see. They don't see the end result. Uh, we find out that the, the, the guy who ripped out the heart, his name is Paul, and he's totally clean. And the coroner has one of my favorite lines. Uh, he's like, I mean, sure, he can run a little bit, but Thor, he ain't. Yeah. You think he's going to grab Freddy Fitness here and throw him down and rip out his heart? <laughs> <laughs> Freddy Fitness. Sorry he didn't bring him back. Or Dean seems a little agitated that they didn't get anything out of Paul. And the officer tells him that he didn't even have a parking ticket. And sure, he can run fast, but they don't believe he'd be ripping any hearts out. Oh, sorry. Dumped Hetty. No, it's okay. Sorry he didn't bring him back out back and shoot him. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how Dean, like, got under that guy's skin, but he did. He did. And I was like, holy. And there was, like, some tension there. Yeah, you could, like, feel it. Sam, like, breaks it up. Uh asking where to find Paul. And so then we go to talk to Paul. Sam's talking to him about, um, Sam's talking to Paul as he's making a shake for himself that looks really gross. Yes. 
Sam points out that the jogger he passed was quite a bit younger, and Dean points out quite a bit thinner. (laughs) Paul tells him that he used to be even bigger, but he had a health scare and cleaned up his act. His body is a temple, and he... Uh, his body is a temple that he worships every day. <laughs> Dean looks very disgusted by the shake. <laughs> Dean didn't find anything poking around in Paul's. Nothing spooky, anyway. But he does find another murder in Ames, Iowa. Same thing that happened six months ago. He makes another dig at Sam for missing it. This one is a cop, Arthur Swenson, a real top-shelf officer, 20 years. Arthur was pinned for the murder of the dude delivering pizza. They found the kid on the front of his house, and Arthur was covered in his blood, crying like a baby. When they try to talk to Arthur, he is not much help. He's just mumbling a bunch of gibberish. Or he's chanting. Right. I like, well, okay, let me... (laughs) I like it when stories use chanting, because I think it's actually kind of creepy. It is creepy. Yeah, and that guy was really spooking me out. But you want to know what it made me think of? What chanting always makes me think of is, do you remember the burbs? Oh, yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> and they're in the basement. And he's like, and Tom Hanks has his finger in his ears. He's like, I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not yeah. going to hear this now. <laughs> and the other guy's like, dude, you're chanting. I'm going to kill everyone. <laughs> Satan is good. Satan is our pal. <laughs> <coughs> oh, my God. That so that's exactly what I thought. Of. So at first, I'm like, man, that's so creepy. And then I'm like, I'm going to kill everyone. <laughs> you haven't seen the burbs you guys you need you to go really check it out watch it's it. hilarious oh <laughs> it's amazing so sam is recording arthur and he can tell that he's repeating whatever he is saying dean points out his eyes there are different colors dean keeps trying to talk to arthur with no luck he keeps repeating the gibberish dean pours holy water on him and nothing happens later on we can see arthur in his cell pull off a piece of the framework of his bed and then he does something very painful to himself because they cut out and they pan back down the hallway and then we just hear him screaming. It, the way that they show it, it implies he stabbed himself in the head. Right. So. Specifically point, in the eye. At which point I went, I don't remember anything about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is not at all like any episode I remember. So. So Sam wants to know what Dean thinks of the recording. Dean thinks it's just babble. But... He got a new translator app on his phone. He is so proud of himself. (laughs) Sam plays it. The language is unknown. At this point, Sam gets a call. He uses the alias detective Sambora after the lead guitarist, Richie Sambora of Bon Jovi. The doctor is telling Dean that Arthur was very thorough in carving out his eye. The scene where Arthur carves out his eye was actually filmed, but deemed too gory for network TV. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I could see that. Dean says he noticed that Arthur had two different color eyes. Because this is they're now at back at the hospital and Dean is talking to this female doctor and mm-hmm. he's telling her he noticed that Arthur had two different colored eyes. Doc tells him that he was in an accident where one eye was shattered and he had a transplant. Happened exactly a year ago to the date. That's weird. And the eye he cut out was the one that was transplanted. Dean wants to know if they can trace... <laughs> what was that? The eye he cut out was the one that was transplanted. I just think it's so funny. She's like, huh, and that was exactly one year from today. Oh, and it's the eye that was transplanted. And I was just like, what the fuck, you guys? Come on. You don't think that's a little weird? <laughs> um, 
So Dean wants to know if they can trace the origin of the donor. Difficult, but possible. Sam is doing his research thing. He tells Dean if he wants him on board, he's on board. Uh, want... I don't know See, why. I, I had to do it earlier. <laughs> he, he wants Dean to guess who else, who else had a transplant a year ago. Paul Hayes, the runner. Isn't that where Sam, he says, also, and Dean says, I love it when there's an also. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because that's when Sam figured out the language he was chanting in. Well, because he says, guess who else had, because uh, Sam tells Dean, guess who else had a transplant right. a year ago, and he says, Paul Hayes, and Sam says, I gave it away, didn't I? <laughs> I just really like that. But yeah, Sam says he thinks the translator app couldn't identify the language because it was ancient. He emailed the audio file to Dr. Morrison. Who? <laughs> the anthropology professor that helped us with the Amazons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dean wants to get going. <laughs> I love it. It's just like they're doing it for the people watching. <laughs> right, right. Dean wants to get going. Tell Sam that if uh, it's the same as last year, the next hit is in Boulder, Colorado. Then we cut to an alleyway where a sexy lady walks out. And she walks up to a dude, and he clearly knows her, saying that she um, she always does a good job. Well, I mean, she's clearly a stripper. Right. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I always like watching you, or whatever he right. says. Um, and she starts walking down the alleyway, kind of like sexy time is going to happen. But she then instead rips his heart out. See, and when I was watching it, it looked to me like he was like, because she was like walking away from him. And he, like, walks up behind her and grabs her. Yeah. And I was like, so was he going to assault her? Like, I don't understand <laughs> what was going on in this scene. But, yeah, and then she rips his heart out. So, either way, she wins. <laughs> <coughs> so, Dean is driving and happy to be hunting and on a case again. Sam is quiet, says he's not thinking about anything. Dean says the last year has given him a new perspective. Sam agrees. Dean says he knows where his place is, basically hunting with his brother. Sam says it makes sense, or maybe Dean doesn't need him. Maybe he's better off hacking and slicing his way through life without having to explain himself to anybody. Dean says that makes sense, as if he has so many other brothers to talk to about this stuff. And I just want to point out, can we have a minute of silence for Adam? Right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I put here, like, um... I get Sam wanting to, like, do his own thing, but, like, it's a little ridiculous for him to, like, be like, Dean will be fine hunting on his own, because we've seen that happen, and it's really bad. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, I get it, Sam, but at the same time, you're kind of being a dick. (laughs) She said it, folks. Oh, my God. I didn't say it. She said (laughs) it. (laughs) Whatever. So Sam says he's not bailing, but he wants Dean to be open to the possibility that they might want different things. You think so? <laughs> How long has that been going on, Sam? I don't think this is a possibility, <laughs> Sam. <laughs> I think it's pretty well established. <sighs> the doc calls Dean with info on donors. He asks about Paul. He asks if anyone in Boulder received those organs as well. Both Paul's kidney and Arthur's eye came from the same donor, a brick Holmes, all pro quarterback. He died in a car crash last year. He donated eight organs. No one in Boulder got an organ. I know. No one in Boulder got an organ, but Brick lived just outside, and since he's since he's all they got, they're gonna they're still gonna go to Boulder. 
We see the lady from the alley is wiping blood on her face, repeating the same babble that or chant that <laughs> Arthur was. She then eats the heart. Black smoke swirls around her. Light flashes in her chest. Her heart glows and her eyes glow red. I'm like, okay. It's <laughs> interesting. Do you like a demon? Or yes. <laughs> understand. happening here? So the guys go talk to Brick's mom. Sam was a huge fan, which I found very surprising. Yes, so did I. <laughs> Dean is questioning how the accident... Oh, Brick is a football player, by the way. I think I already said that. You already that. said that. Moving along. <laughs> um, Dean is questioning how the accident even happened. Cat-like reflexes, no bad weather, light traffic, no skid marks. Which I was like, that's a pretty good question, yes. I think. I but, thought so. But then she kind of shoots him down. <laughs> she says, when things that happen aren't supposed to happen, they're called accidents, I believe. Yes. Accidents, accidents don't just happen, happen accidentally. accidentally. <laughs> I really wish you said that. Which is what every single one of us was thinking. I'll say it, Dean, say it. <laughs> Sam asks about his personal life. He was never married, no new interests. Everything was just said it had just as it had been. She gets up to leave, saying the university is naming a building after her son and she can't be late. Sam wants to ask one more question, but she says, there's always just one more question in life, and walks out. Walks out. I like that lady. So outside, Dean sees that another heart was ripped out in Boulder. Oh, because that's another of my favorite lines. Dean tells him he found something, and Sam's like, don't tell me another heart got ripped out in Boulder. Dean says, all right, I won't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So the mom watches them leave from inside, and then we see Randa, which is the name of the stripper lady. She's waiting at the top of the stairs. She likes to stay close to the mothership. I'm like, okay, so. Right. Something weird is happening. That sounds a little strange, yeah. Randa wants to make sure mom is sticking with the story on Brick's death. She says she is. Randa was given new life with Brick's heart, and she's just trying to protect the mom. Mom doesn't need Randa's concern. Randa tells her that they need each other. Brick needs them. Keep the secret safe, and they'll be just fine. Back at the hotel, Sam's getting off the phone with Dr. Morrison. Tells him he is looking at adding Dr. Morrison as a technical advisor. It comes with a medical plan. (laughs) Sam tells us that it is a dead language, ancient Mayan. The divine god Cacao is born. The Mayan god of maize, corn, the big crop. Dean wants to get moving. Someone in Phoenix is next. The cops can't find him. Dean gets another email while on the laptop. It is for Sam from a university about admissions. Sam was just looking at options. (laughs) Dean wants to know if he really wants to hang it all up. Sam says he's not saying anything, just looking into options. (laughs) Sam wants to drop it clearly and asks about running to Phoenix and chasing their tails. Dean says no, that the answer to it all lies with Brick Holmes. Eleanor, who is Brick's mother, was doing her damnedest not to tell them anything. That's what Dean says. Yes. Dean tells Sam he did a nice job of changing the subject. The guys break into Eleanor's house. Dean is looking in Brick's closet, and Sam takes the other. He thinks it's Eleanor's since her clothes are in there. But Dean <laughs> thinks maybe she moved in after he died, or and then he looks at the bed, and 
makes a gross joke without saying anything. Yeah. Like, basically implying that they were, you know... Doing it. Yeah. Sam is very displeased with that image. Dean finds a secret room behind the closet. A room filled with his football memorabilia and also a tons... Also tons of other sports memorabilia. I love how Sam like, just shoves past him to right. get in the room faster because he's like seriously I geeking knew he had out. A room like this. <laughs> Sam thinks he must have had respect for all good athletes and collected all of the old stuff because all of this is like really old. Like really old, yeah. Dean finds a box of old love letters, all addressed to a Betsy. All of the letters are a guy talking about his sports travels, all different sports, all addressed to the same woman, all signed with the same love me. The most recent one says he's tired of it all. Sam pulls up the photos of the four sports of four of the sport four. Oh, my God. Let's try that. Hang on, guys. Sam pulls up four photos of the Four different, four of the different sports dudes that they were talking or that were in the letters, and recognizes that they all have the same facial features. Dean looks more into the Mayan god Cacao and tells us that the Mayan were all about war and torture and conquest and sports. It says their athletes were treated like kings. The Mayan jocks made sacrifices to Cacao by ready for this. Killing a victim and pulling out its heart and eating it. They believe the rituals gave them supercharged power over their opponents. They are not sure how that kept him alive unless he made a deal with the god. Dane thinks that it is not unheard of. Sam is a bit sad that the greatest quarterback of all time was 900 years old. (laughs) Sam believes that the spell carried on to the people who got his organs. Kind of like being bit by a werewolf. You keep doing what you have to do, especially if you like the results. Arthur couldn't handle it and went crazy. Sam is bummed. Dean says it sucks how the mighty fall hard. (laughs) Sam notices something on the laptop and says, at least Brick wasn't sleeping with his mom. I love Dean's. Yeah, good Good, Sam. Find the silver lining. (laughs) And he's like, no, look. And we find out that Eleanor is actually Betsy. So they go back to talk to Betsy Dean asks her for help, saying not to let this be Brick's legacy. She tells them that his Mayan name was Inyo. Am I saying that right? I think so. Uh, A proud athlete nearly 1,000 years ago. He made a deal with Cacao to stay young forever, as long as the sacrifices were made twice a year, once for the planting and once for the harvest. She found out when she began to age, and Brick, Kelly, when she met him, did not. Brick changed by then. They were deeply in love. She was so in love when she found out about the secret, she chose to ignore it. She was the wife, the woman hiding, and then in her 40s, she became the mother, Eleanor. Brick saw... I know, right? Brick saw her days were coming to an end, and he lived alone for centuries and couldn't bear to live alone anymore, and that's when he drove off the bridge. Dean doesn't think she's a monster, just that she married one, and now that they have to deal and now they have to deal with eight. She doesn't think so. She's saying that the heart is the key. If they stop the heart, they'll stop the whole thing. Sam wants to know where the person with the heart is. Cut to them pulling up in front of the bunny hole, which is the strip club. 
Who makes up these names? The bunny hole. It's an actual place. Is it really? Oh my god. Sam wants to know if Dean thinks that Brick thought he'd burn to nothing after driving off the bridge. Probably, but he didn't, and that's what brings us here. The guys break into the bunny hole through the back alley. Dean, <laughs> smell that? Like, really happy, happily asking Sam if he smells that. <laughs> You're gross. I'm gonna have to and Dean just nods. <laughs> Lights come on. Rhonda walks onto the stage. She knows Eleanor gave her up, and it won't end well for her or for the boys. Randa says that we won't let it happen when the guys pull out. The guys pull out the weapon, I guess, that's supposed to kill her. Yeah. And she says she's not going to let that happen. Paul, the jogger, and the dude from Phoenix... Who introduces himself as the guy from Phoenix that they've been looking for. Right. Which I think is hilarious. <laughs> I'm the guy from Phoenix. I'm the from Phoenix. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, they get Dean pinned down and Sam knocked out, of course. Randa tells Dean that she was a shy, awkward little thing from Georgia before. After the heart surgery, she became Xena fucking warrior princess. She sits atop Dean talking about doing it slow to show him his own beating heart. Sam comes to the rescue and gets one of the guys off Dean, which allows Dean to then stab Randa in the heart. So what this all reminded me of is, do you remember in The Incredibles when they are sitting in the car talking and they're listening to the police scanner and uh, Frozone is telling his story and about how the bad guy starts monologuing and telling him all the evil things he's going to do and how great he is. And I'm like, that is exactly what happened in <laughs> yeah. that scene right there. She was monologuing. I don't know why yeah. I thought of that, but... The villains like to do that. They do. It happens a lot. <laughs> I'm going to tell you everything I'm going to do instead of just murdering you. Right. <laughs> because I've got you And telling my now. friends later or whatever. Right. <laughs> they got to just rub it in, I guess. So back at Betsy's house, they let her know that it is really over. In the Impala, Dean is happy to be doing their job again. It feels good. Thinking about what Rand has said about being a warrior, he says he gets it. Sam knows he does, but he doesn't. He doesn't get it. Sam is done once they finish with Kevin and the tablet. He wants what they had the year he had off. He wants a normal life. Dean thinks that's just how he feels now. But then we have a flashback from Sam of being with Amelia. He can't, we, we see him running around a park. Uh, his dog, Riot, runs off. He chases and he's yelling for Amelia and the dog. And he rounds a corner to see Amelia waiting with a surprise birthday picnic. And he's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and she's like, you've never had a birthday cake before? And he's like, no. And Sam is very, very happy in the flashback. And when we yes. come to present Sam, he is on the verge of tears. And then credits. I'm sorry, but the whole surprise B-Day picnic was a little over the top. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was so, like, generic. Because, I mean, you have the, she has, like, a blanket out. And there's, like, the classic picnic. <laughs> right. There's the picnic basket and all the food laid out. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not real. This chick was a bitch. She's not going to be right? setting up. She was a total bitch. Like, I don't even know why. Like, Sam, you must have been desperate because, like, we've seen all the flashbacks of how she treated you. Right. Like, like, 
why was all that okay with you? She yeah. doesn't. She does not seem like the kind of person who's going to be setting up surprise picnics. No, <laughs> and not like really, really well done picnics <laughs> right. that you see on movies. <laughs> right. The vet who lives in a hotel. Anyway, it is appropriate that Randa is a stripper because of the Mayan god of maize, jade, and cacao is also the patron of dancing. This is the third episode Jensen has directed. He also directed. Season 6, Weekend at Bobby's, and Season 7, The Girl Next Door. It was shot before the two previous episodes in order to allow Jensen time for preparation. The episode started shooting July 9th, 2012. Brent Chapman, who played Paul Hayes, previously played Ed in Season 2, Episode 6, No Exit. I liked that episode. Yeah. Aaron Pearl, who played Officer Levitt, previously played the demon Roger in episode 20 of season four, The Rapture. The Bunny Hole is actually a real strip club called the Paramount... Oh, it's not the real name. It's not really the Bunny Hole. (laughs) Somebody didn't make this shit up. The Paramount Paramount Gentleman's Club. Ooh, swanky. (laughs) Much swankier than the Bunny Hole. Yes. Which is located in New Westminster, British Columbia... Minster. Minster. Minister. Jesus Christ. The Westminster. The Westminster. Uh, this is the second episode of Supernatural that Alan Ackles has been in as Detective Pike. He was also the voice of the newscaster in Weekend at Bobby's. Which, that's Dean's dad. Shut up. Is it really? Jensen's well, it's Jensen's dad. dad right? <laughs> well, Dean's dad is dead. <laughs> Jensen Ackles, when asked about memorable moments for him, said that having the opportunity to direct his dad in this episode ranks high on his list. Um, Good Love Gone Bad by Jamie Dunlap and Scott Nicoli is the only song in this episode. And the body count was six. Yes. I'm assuming you have... Mayan stuff. Yeah, I have always had a huge fascination with the Mayans. And right. So, um, the Mayan god of maize is not cacao. He's actually just called the Mayan maize god. Because um, maize is corn and cacao is coffee beans. <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> sure how they got that. Um, he's also called the tonsured maize god. And tonsured refers to shaving your head. Or in the case of him, based on the pictures we've seen of him, the part of a monk's head that is shaved. Right. Yeah. I didn't know what that word meant. I had to look it up. Um, I didn't either, but I know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So, and this was something when I was doing a lot of research. The problem with talking about Mayan gods is that they didn't really have a written language. And so we have to kind of figure out everything we can from the pictures we see on their walls and on their pottery. And sometimes we'll find... Um, papers, but there's not really anything written on them. It's mostly pictures. Right. Um, so it's hard to figure out what the gods were, how they related to the people. Um, we know about certain rituals and things like that, but that's about it. So one thing they did talk about in this show that I was really excited to talk about is what's called the Mesoamerican ball game. Um, so they say in the show that the Mayan athletes would eat the hearts of the losers, which is not true. There's really not a whole lot of evidence of Mayans eating people's hearts. Um, so the Mesoamerican ball game. I'm going to go out, like from here on out, just call it the game. Okay. 
Um, it, they know it's been played at least since 1400 BC um, in what's known as ancient Mesoamerica, which is a lot of northern South America, all of Central America, and a little bit of southern, southern North America. Um, the rules are really not very well known, um, but what they can figure out from the pictures they've seen of it is that the players uh, would jump in the air and hit the ball with their hips. Okay. Um, I know. Which I've seen people like actually pictures drawn from um, Spanish missionaries who went and saw them playing, and it looks pretty crazy. Like to do that, is it like <laughs> soccer but with your hips? Right, and you couldn't touch the ball with your hands. Um, okay. And it seems like the goal was basically just to keep it from touching the ground, like with um, volleyball or you know what the fuck yeah just your hips well and so and that was the thing and so they it was all played in like an alley like that they would um build some slanted walls like that and then straight walls would come up and so the players could run up the walls and bounce it off of the walls and so it got pretty like elaborate as far as the game goes yeah and so these long alleyways that were pretty narrow but that's how they would play um the ball was made of solid rubber and weighed about wow. 10 pounds. Yeah. Um, and they have found actual balls from the game. Um, let's see. That can't be good for the hips. <laughs> I know. So later in, after the Spanish missionaries arrived, we started seeing that they added these stone circles to the ends, to the end zones of the alley. Uh-huh. And they were not big. They were probably like around that big. Like... The size of a basketball. Pretty much. And so if you got the ball to go through that hole, it was a point. Um, <laughs> but that was really rare. <laughs> so it was like a really big deal if they were able, because they were up high. They were like up here. So I don't know how they would do that, but I would love to see people play this game. It's still played, but it's a very big variation on what we can see used to be played. Like people right. will use bats and sticks and things like that to hit the ball. So it's not quite the same. Um but they have seen evidence that this game was actually played as far north as, like, in Arizona. They have found what looks to be a ball court. Um, so, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Like, that's crazy. So it was also very ritualistic. Um, it was a huge part of the culture. Like, they find these courts everywhere. Cities will have, like, 30 of them. Like, it's just, it was constantly something that was played. Um and in, I think it was the Aztecs, it seemed to be kind of something they started doing to replace warfare. Mm -hmm. So if there was a disagreement between two cities or cultures, they would have one of these ball games, and that and whoever won, like won everything. Like that was like they usurped like that whole people. Um, so she's <laughs> right. So it was like, it's a pretty big deal. It was a really big deal. Um, and so this is based on a lot of the imagery that they would find on the walls of the courts, just a lot of people dressed like soldiers. Um, and they would see prisoners of war in the game. So these were the pictures that they would see. And these were people they assume they're prisoners of war because they were almost completely nude and they were very battered and tied together. Okay. And so what they would think is once the war was over that these people were um, killed after being forced to play like a rigged game. Basically, it was just like a show. Like after they'd won, they'd have another game where the winners have this great win over these people and then they sacrifice them. 
That's the losing team. Um, my ends, <laughs> however, <laughs> um, they already have a lot of evidence of human sacrifice, as a lot of people know. Um, I was actually in a Mayan city a while ago and on the Yucatan Peninsula, and they were giving us a tour and they were showing us a building where you could see pictures on the side where they were like sacrificing human infants. Like, wow. <laughs> Mayans and death is a lot different. Right. From like every culture in the world. To them, it's like a celebration. It's like you're starting something new. You're going on this unknown adventure. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was just one of those things where when someone died, it was a huge celebration. Yeah. Um, still very scary and really intense, but it was something that was just viewed a lot differently. Um, so in the city of Chichen Itza, there are pictures that the sacrifice team was the winning team. Um, and that it wasn't necessarily even the winning team, but it was mostly the captains of that team that would be sacrificed. And there's a very fam famous um, bass relief of a champion of the ball game who has a severed head. That's how they would cap uh, sacrifice them as decapitation. Okay. Um, and if you've ever seen a mind picture of somebody who's been decapitated, it's freaking weird. Because <laughs> <laughs> they have no head, but coming out of their neck is like a braided thing that just fans out into a bunch of snakes. Cause that's because of your brain, the way the brain looks and they're right. decapitating these people. That was just how they imagined what right. that was. So yes, there's a very famous one. I'll see if I can remember to link it when we post this. Um, let's see. Yes. So decapitation was the primary form of sacrifice. And, oh, yes, there are even thoughts that they, when they would sacrifice the losing teams, that they would use their heads when playing the game instead of the ball. Oh, my God. And that's something, I mean, it's not like a huge thing that they've seen a lot of, but they have seen evidence of that happening. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what a game. I know. But, yeah, so I was like, <laughs> it sounds horrible, but as soon as I heard them talking about Mayans and this guy being an athlete, I was like, because I've, I've read a lot about this ball game before. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It was just, <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> but it's like, it's a huge part of their culture. Like, it's huge. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty, that was a pretty neat thing for them to touch on. Other than that, this is really not an episode I've watched. This is like the second time I've watched this it. This is the second time I've seen it. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. weird. It's not one of my favorites. No. What are you going to do? Yeah, it happens. Um, so what's your favorite line, scene? I couldn't really pick a favorite scene. I guess when Dean's talking to the cop, who's like kind of annoyed with him. Um, <laughs> his dad. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think my line was just Sam. At least he wasn't sleeping with his mother. <laughs> Dean, good Sam. Find the silver lining. <laughs> I like that one too. I also really liked... Um, when things happen that aren't supposed to happen, they're called accidents, I believe. <laughs> um, and then I really liked when he said, um, I get it. You took a year off to do yoga and play the <laughs> 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 Oh, my God. It fucking yeah. kills me every time. Yeah. And then I don't, I didn't pick a moment, apparently. I didn't highlight anything. Well, there just really wasn't any, you know. <laughs> just didn't. No. But, yeah. Um, yeah I that's guess. all i've got on this one i had fun researching it though 
I like reading about Mayans. If you're at all interested in that, you should watch um, <coughs> a movie by Darren Aronofsky called The Fountain. He talks a lot in that movie about Mayans and their vision of death and things like that. So it's pretty cool. And his movies are always very beautiful. Pretty scary and weird, but... I still haven't seen Mother. It's weird. I am not going to lie. It yeah, is freaking weird, but I need to watch it again. Okay, so that's all we got. If you're not there already, please check out the website, thewaywardfans.com. You can see all of our podcasts there and other things that we occasionally post. Um, <laughs> and things. And stuff and things, you know. Uh, you can contact us there directly using the contact us link. It sends us an email. Um, if you want to avoid the website for some reason, you can just send us an email directly, waywardfans at gmail.com. Let us know thoughts, feelings, concerns. We like hearing from you guys. Yes, we do. It's been a while. It has been. <laughs> um, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at waywardfans underscore SPN, as well as on Facebook, facebook.com slash waywardfans. We give you updates on all of our new episodes. At least we will once we start airing them again. <laughs> Sorry, things have been a little silent on the social media site. Um, but yes, and then we also do like to share our fun things that we find there as well. So thanks for coming back, and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye.